Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiast Podcast. The Two Enthusiast Podcast. The first motorcycle podcast to get banned by North Korea. Now why? Why would that what, happen? Well, I mean, they have their own like internet thing there. Like they don't have like an external internet. It's like an only like an internal. Oh, so it's just by virtue of it existing. Yeah. We've, I think I think all motorcycle podcasts have been banned by North okay. Korea. So except for the ones probably made there. Do they even have motorcycles in North Korea? I don't think so. They might. If Supreme Leader wishes there there to be, there will be. Kim Jong Ilan. <laughs> Kim Jong Unicycles. Kim Jong Unicycles, yeah, right. Yeah, there's something there. There's a there's a good pun or two in there somewhere we're losing out on. Yeah, for sure. I don't I don't know if I have it in me. That's that's probably a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh Quentin, I haven't seen you in a while, bud. Where you been? Uh uh I how I bought a house in North Portland and I am in the process of mildly renovating it, so it's been like a lot of a lot of time there doing that. Yeah, you look beat, you look wiped. Mm. Did you have to build the house like no. <laughs> after you bought no. it? It turns out if you buy a house built in 1920, it, it, it needs some love, right? <laughs> no matter how much love it's been given, it needs some love. And in the case of this, it needed paint and floors. And I don't know how awesome it is that I am choosing to do the paint and the floors, but I am saving a load of money. So I'm hoping that can apply towards motorcycles in the not too distant future that I had allocated for the house to be like, all right, I'll pay somebody to do the paint and then decided not to. On the and upside, then spending a, a full month of weekends and nights, night, weekend and night and weekend and night to do it. Yeah. Right. So it's a, you, you learn the value of your time very quickly when you do this stuff. But again, if all is said and done and I get to buy a Moto Guzzi uh, Sport 1100, then I'll, I'll, all right, that's worth it. I can do it. On the right side, you don't have a lot of furniture, so there's a lot of space for you to put bikes. Yeah. Like in the I've living already, room. I already was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to put my 125 in the in the foyer. It's just going to live right there. It doesn't even have wheels on it. It's just going to, I'm going to put it up on the stands. It'll look bitching, right? I was thinking of that. And like, I have this mock-up of a Moto Sys C1 that's all rapid prototype. And it's hanging in my garage. You could barely even see it in my garage because it's just hanging in the and not not in this garage in my in my past garage. So now I'm going to put it somewhere where it's going to be bitching. So yeah, I've I've got some ideas. It'll be very motor, motorcycle centric. That's for sure. I just like that you have a foyer. I, I like saying foyer. And I was going to have a credenza. I didn't even know what a credenza is. Do you know what a credenza is? That's a piece of furniture, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know what that is, but when it turns out when you type in mid-century in Craigslist, you learn all kinds of new <laughs> stuff. So now I want a credenza really bad. I just appreciate that you call it a foyer instead of a foyer. A as, foyer? Yeah. Yeah? Is that the right? I no, hope I'm saying it You're the saying right. it correctly. Okay. All right. If you say a foyer, you I, deserve a punch I, to the face. Uh, fair enough, but I also feel <laughs> like the quintessential, if you will, douchey, bougie, Oh yeah, I mean that's pretty bougie. I I have a foyer. I have, uh, let me receive you in the foyer. Yes. Did Did you even get my quintessential? Point? Oh, I got. Uh, I just, I just making moved, sure. Just glancing around, like I gotta get moving. Oh, okay. I gotta get moving. It's like quicksand. Yeah, right. It's Quentin sand. <laughs> <laughs> Almost made you lose your water there. Yeah, it's good. Drink that Mountain Dew. Um. Well, I I haven't been working around the house too much, but I have been riding some some motorcycles. I even drove a motorcycle. Yeah. 
That's a auto cycle. Somebody was saying auto that cycle. Yeah. a lot of states are calling them auto 40, cycles. 40 states call it auto so, cycles. So I like that. That's good. Auto cycle. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Sure. I want to get to that. Sure. First, let's talk about the bike I just had to return, which you got a chance to ride too. The MV Augusta Brutale 800. This is the 2017 model. So it's Euro yeah. 4 compliant and all that jazz. I really like that bike. Yeah, it was good. The little three-cylinder uh, engine doesn't make a ton of power. Kind of reminds me of my Hyper and the way it makes um, power. And there's not a lot of top end, but there's a good mid-range, good low-end torque, and it's geared really well. So you're you're really hitting the uh, the power when you're on like city street speeds. It's zippy. I'll say it's zippy. Yeah. It's not torquey to me, but it's zippy. Uh, whereas if the the analog for me would be my uh, Street Fighter A48. Not quite enough power, but plenty. But goes. Yeah, yeah. But goes plenty. And and this is similar, but I like the A48 a little bit more because it has a little bit more low end. But that thing, if you slipped the clutch a little bit and got on it, it would go pretty well in the in the quick shifter. It was pretty darn good. Quick shifter is really good until you get out to the racetrack. I took it out to PIR, which not a great racetrack for that little bike. No, it would have been ORP. ORP for sure. Would Some have been small track with lots of corners. Yeah. Um, I think I hit like 140 down the front straight and that was, took forever to get there. And the quick shifter really didn't like going between fifth and sixth after like the second or third lap. So there's something going on there where I don't know if it's, it's heating up or what, what the jazz is, but it was no bueno. But, um, and it's a really twitchy bike. I think it would have been better if I'd had a whole day to, to fiddle with suspension and tighten it up. Get it. Get it. Well, when you say twitchy, but then you say tighten it up. So, so. What do you mean? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I'm using words. And, use your and, words. And we know, we know that I, I'm not a words guy. No, not from at the all. last show. <laughs> use your words, not your turds. Um, so it's twitchy in the sense that it's got that real quick, um, front end inputs from the, the rake and trail. It turns quickly. It turns quick. It's a short wheelbase. It's twitchy in that regard, but it was also twitchy in the sense, this is where I'm using twitchy wrong, that the suspension was just all over the place in terms of like the the shock preload was way too soft. The compression rebound dampings were way too hard. So it's just doing weird things with the suspension on the track anyway. So yeah, you go into a turn and it turns in real quick and you kind of get a little squirrely and then the suspension kind of does a little, a little pump. It was just a lot, a lot was going on there that made it not. Super fun to ride on a track, but I think with a little bit of time, we could really dial And the same one for me on the street, because I just got to ride it on the street. Right. And I blasted around the city, and it felt great, but it was a, di- a bit taut, I will say. Uh, you know, so from a twitchy standpoint, um, and like you said, it's all damping. I, I didn't really get to press the thing to feel the the ride heights relative to the spring rates. But for just zipping around town, yeah, I would have wanted to screw with it a bit. Not plush. I just was the opposite of plush. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, but like I don't fault I don't fault the bike for that. That's yep. just settings out sure. of the box. I think the bike overall is really really good. The story I'm working on, like the headline goes something along the effect of this could be the best street bike on the market if you change these you know several things about it, and all of them are just nitpicky, yeah, stupid things that I don't like that MV Augusta does. Like the seat is rock fucking hard. The gauge cluster, the instrument cluster, which is a pet peeve of mine, makes no sense whatsoever, and it's horrible, 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 horrible. It's a clusterfuck. It's a clusterfuck. <laughs> it absolutely is. Fuck that cluster. <laughs> that instrument cluster. Um, the controls, the 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 hand controls, 
are pretty dumb, but that's like classic MV where the horn is where the lights, oh my the God. turn signal switch the should be. Horn. Did you honk to turn left? Oh my God. <laughs> At least once. Yeah. And it's so horrible. Yeah. Like, like I can't fathom the knuckle dragger that decided that this is what they were going to do to make a, you know, like the, there's certain things like who, who's, who looked at that and was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Let's change up something completely. It's like BMWs from, I don't know when, when was the last time BMW actually had turn signals on each side? Did you ever ride one no. like that? No, I'm too young. Well, they was, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> that's the thing is even, I think there were bikes like this, even into the 2000, 2000s where you had, turn signals on each thumb and then the cancel was on the on one of them it was fucking ridiculously stupid you get used to it sure but when you're used to normal rational logical standardized motorcycle controls across the board it's like you expect them to have the shifter on the incorrect side or the kickstand on the wrong side right something like that i could see and that's that's tantamount to that right The, the 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 horn button being where you're normally just trying to, I want to go, bam! oh, Jesus. <laughs> right. Oh, anyway. So, yeah, I, I feel you. Not a huge deal. You, you could, you would overcome it if you own the bike. Yeah. But still, like, give me a break. Uh, every MV bike I've ever gotten on, the mirrors were loose and came back on me. Just something from the factory that always seems to be wrong. Um, what's my other big gripe? Shoot. I was just thinking of it. Oh, the battery. I mean, they, they handed me a battery charger when I picked up the bike. Like, like knowing like, yeah, this thing's going to drain the battery. This is, on its a, own. this is a trend with MVs. It always has been. Yeah. So, and, and sure enough, dead battery after really? like uh, two weeks. Yeah. Oh, that's right. But it sat for a long. It sat for a little while, but, but not that it, long. It's it should, not like, any bike should sit for at least a month. At least a month. Having, that's what that's I was going to say. Yeah. You should get at least a month, 30 days of grace. No, 14 days. 14 days, you're dead. And they do the calculations. And even in, you know, Ducati land, they would, we would know, all right, this thing is drawing. X amount of milliamps, right? It's a constant thing. It's going to draw that per, you know, minute or hour or whatever. And you can figure out the time it takes to draw the battery down. And they usually have it. And that month break point is that most people nowadays, you know, there's so many electronic systems that are like harvesting power in weird ways when the bike is turned off, especially with the mobilizer systems and shit like that. Yeah. That's, that's this is where the hideous complexity of, of, bikes just as annoying right it shouldn't be like that batteries are already live a hard life and it's tough to keep them charged even when they're not being drawn on by a bunch of parasitic crap right well uh other than that you, d- you didn't get a chance to go on any major long rides though did you oh i think i put like 200 300 miles on the bike i'm trying to think what my longest ride was um i kind of went up the uh near st mount st helens okay all right, so, so I got, you got a chance. To I got a little one. rip. Yeah, because I never did. I wanted to get out to Eastern Oregon. Never got a chance to. So one of these days, we'll have to make sure to have a, a a bike in the same realm where I could go for a long time. Well, you know, that's where that Turismo Veloce comes in. So very similar bikes, same engine. No, oh, yeah, and it's just more upright. It's more like your um, sure your uh, multi strata. Yeah, It'd be so interesting more. to see how that goes. I really enjoyed riding that bike in the south of France. I bet. Um, as, I wonder how many one, bikes as you one could, would. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I wonder how many bikes you could say. I did not enjoy riding that bike. <laughs> you know what? I had a horrible time riding that motorcycle in the south of France. <laughs> I just, it wasn't very nice. It wasn't very nice to me at all. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Missed you, bud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
so yeah, really good bike. Um, I'd be what I really want to do is ride the RR version. I think that would put the power to where like I would kind of want it, and that I think that would be the sweet spot for that. That is it different cams or what? what are yeah, they? it makes a lot more power. It's like 140 horsepower. Cool. So I think that would be more analogous to like our Street Fighters and what we're looking for there. I think it would actually be more fun on the track. All good things. Um, they've made a lot of improvements to the the three cylinder engine over the last couple of years. I think they've they've really ironed out a lot of the gremlins that were hitting that line. Probably wouldn't want to track a brutali too much. I don't know how long the valves will last, but I've heard that the the F three valves are doing better now, and that was like the big one for that. But Sprag clutches are a lot better. I think they've they've pretty much fixed that. Was that was the early one that was going on. Yeah, that was many years ago that I remember hearing that. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's a sweetheart of an engine. And the, my buddy Ronnie that ran the USMV, well, he wasn't running the effort, but he was helping a couple people race them. And this is a guy that was had built the, from Buells to Triumphs to Ducatis, won the Daytona 200 with a Ducati, um, had AMA podiums over and over and over with Triumphs, uh, has, has seen inside so many different engines, High level with Sheridan Morace on an R1, et cetera, et cetera. His, one of his favorite engines is that one. It just He says it's like, it's just a, a really well-sorted, beautifully internal engine. He loves every aspect of it. So I yeah. haven't seen one on the inside. I know it, sound, it, it feels right and it sounds right. And, you know, anything that's not a parallel twin, I'm pretty stoked with. That's that skinny and small. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I think I might end up buying an F3 800. Yeah. And I was talking to Ronnie about it. Yeah. So that that might happen. Yeah, fapping it, fap it up. I I would say if I was gonna go back to racing, anything if I could, because uh, I think they're homologated for six seventy five is homologated for Super Sport. Yeah, but the F three eight hundred. I was looking at the Omra thing the other night actually, and you could be in like seven fifty super bike, seven fifty sure. sport bike, whatever it is. And I'm thinking mostly Moto America because I would want to try and do an, another round, you know, after years of not doing it, just to kind of keep myself sharp. And I would rather have that than some, I th- probably said it on a podcast before, I'd rather have one of those than some swilly Japanese, same old, same old crap that I don't, you know, even though I know I'm a glutton for punishment, you know, same with you. You like having weird stuff. It's fun. It's fun to have weird things. Buying one as a track bike, not a daily rider. Yeah. That's all sure. I'm going to say. Fair enough. But, but I am impressed with that, with what MV Augusta is doing. It's a brand that I'm excited to see where they go with the new funding um, and like I said, like, you know, like I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is and, and buy up one of their bikes. So are you rushing to do so? Um, you know, I've been putting it off for a little while, but <laughs> Putin, you gotta say Putin, you're Putin, it off. Putin it off. I didn't enunciate that right. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, there's a Moscow joke in there somewhere. I just can't think of it, <laughs> but Shoot, I had one of these for this. Um, the Brutale absolutely was a bike, be a bike I would I would buy and put in my garage. I'd be stoked on it. And and, and truthfully, the 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 Turismo Veloce, which is like a weird, like an 800 cc sport tour, upright sport tour, like that's a weird category. I don't know how to place that against other bikes, but it, it's in there. It's interesting. So they got some cool stuff. I'm not a big fan of the Dragster. Um, the four cylinder bikes, I'm kind of done with. They all need update. They all need updates. I, I really wish we could have gotten one though for the for the death match. I think that would have been good for the death match, and that's just them just not yep. having a press fleet together yet. No, so well, we'll see. Speaking of death match, have you gotten any of the further articles I out? I don't want to talk about it. Okay, sorry. 
I was just thinking about it. I was like, well, this is worth talking about. Something we should have talked about, yeah. but no. Yeah. Never mind. Just move along, Quentin. Okay. Move along. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Oh, uh, we just about got all the dinos finished up. Uh, I got one more dino to go. Okay. Honda? No. Uh, that one's done. Uh, How much did it make? Yamaha. Uh, I'd have to look uh, why he did it. Oh, okay. Um, let's gracefully move along from that uh, and talk about something far more important, which is the three-wheeled motorcycle. Auto. Auto cycle. Auto so, cycle. So I went down to LA last week and did the Polaris Slingshot launch, which was weird because I've never driven a motorcycle before. And it says it right when you get in, and you know, you and I know this because we we test rode one at at Austin at, during the GP weekend. But like so right in between had, the two had, seats, you had driven a motorcycle before. I guess in I Austin. Have. Yeah, I guess. Huh. Yeah. I didn't think about that. You didn't think about it because it it was so non-plussing, and that was so... the worst demo. We even told them, that's what we were telling them at the uh, the launch. Or they were like, "Oh, how was it?" And I was like, "It was like the worst demo because truthfully, there just aren't good roads around Austin." And driving a uh, there car are, in they, a straight they're line. They're really further, not not where we were. Not where we were. Not, not even close to where not we were. Not for what that format in would Central provide Central Texas for. in general, it takes, they were, you'd have to get out to the hill country. And even then, it's a long way to get to the twisty roads that you and I know that are that, uh, even close to what you and I would know in, in California, Oregon, Washington of really truly. Places that aren't flat. Yeah. Insert name of place that isn't flat. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we gave them some feedback on that, and some of that's just the event. Where did they? Where were you guys riding? We driving? rode up the Piloting. coast through Malibu, and then up into um, the hills on the that overlook Malibu and all that. Like Decker Canyon, Latigo, yeah. yeah, Stunt, thereabouts. I'm not so Rock Store. Didn't go to the Rock Store. Okay. Neptune's Net. No. Mulholland. We did a little Mulholland. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Was it safe? Did it feel good? Did was it okay, more for, fun? Let's talk about safety. That's one let's, of the things. Yeah, let's, let's chat. Let's talk about safety. So you you brought it up before um, we got too far into it. In forty states now, Polaris. It was funny listening. Like they they were very upfront about the fact that they're like we bought votes from state representatives basically and lobbied to have an auto cycle category created in forty different states. Sounds good. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Um. But there is in a way. And let me get to it because I don't I think I'm kind of forming an opinion on this auto cycle thing. The for all intents and purposes, this is a car. It is a three wheeled car. It's not a three wheeled motorcycle. It's a three wheeled car. Yeah. You drive it with a steering wheel. You're in a seatbelt. Stick shift with your hand. Can't lane split. I'm using my feet are doing pedals. Nothing about this is a motorcycle experience. Leans the wrong way. Leans the wrong way. It's all all the things. It is a car. It's a car. It's you a get car. It's a car. Bugs on your face. That's about the only thing. Well, not with the windshield on. No. You don't. Not with the crazy sling top or whatever they're calling sling that top. stupid thing. So so a story within a story. I was put in the prototype uh, slingshot with this weird target top thing that we're not even supposed to talk about. But you know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. I'm breaking the embargo. Fuck it. Because it's it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And it was a pain in the ass. Take a look at this, right? So it's got like, maybe I should have picked a better. It's a double bubble. It looks like an Abarth car. It has the double double. There we go. Dude, that that actually looks okay. It looks good. It looks good. It's got a cool, it's like a cool target top. Those, those flaps, those little, they're like little doors. Flip flaps? I don't know. I don't know what you call that. I I guess you could in theory do a T-top. But wait for this photo. Wait for it. This is bad radio. Wait for it. 
when you're six two and have a helmet on, you barely fit inside that. Like you can you. barely see my head in that photo. We're gonna have to put these photos on Facebook or Instagram yeah, or something. Sure. But they're embargoed until September fifth. So I don't understand why you put a journalist in an embargoed days. car. You're not gonna have this podcast out in five days. You're good. You're set. You know what? You throw down the gauntlet <laughs> and I will respond. <laughs> Looks better in blue. Uh, oh my gosh, that really looks good in blue. Yeah. I like that color scheme. So, so look for the review on Asphalt and Rubber. I was actually working on it right before you got over here, Quentin, for the recording of this. So some of this will already be up by the this time this is going to be out. up before the death match. <laughs> just, just leave. We're done. <laughs> the show's twenty minutes long. You're out. Good talks to you out there. Bag of dicks. <laughs> well, there's no kickstand to put up. That should be the ultimate. Like, yeah. why are we talking about this on the parking show? breaks down? <laughs> Uh, um it's a it's a hooligan thing if you have an e-brake does it have an e-brake it does and does it can you can you make it slide oh it slides so easily you don't even really need the e-brake to slide you don't have one wheel so that's the whole thing like there so we got to get back to the safety part but i'll give you a quick driving experience front end super planted you have two wheels the vehicle weighs less than 1800 pounds the rear wheel i mean there's just not enough traction back there so it's really easy to to spin it up from a stop, to do a rolling burnout, to, and the, to spin it up while you're moving even, and you just drop the clutch and it'll spin up. I don't remember getting that feeling that it was powerful enough when we were at Coda. Yeah, that was a bad... It's it's pretty zippy. Okay. I mean, it, it's 176 horsepower in a 1,750-pound chassis. So no matter which way you cut it, That's power to weight ratio is good. Power to weight ratio is best in class, where you're looking at a Miata, a BMW 2 Series. You know, pick your little small... Twenty thirty thousand dollars sports car, and it compares really, really well. The and it's and it's fun because the front end gets really planted, the rear end gets loose, so you can drift around and you can do burnouts and slides and all that fun stuff. You can really flick of a button, turn the traction control off. Um, comes with a, a stability, a uh, stability control and anti lock brakes. So there's it's got some safety features and the stability control you can't turn off. Can't turn that off, and that's critical because the the crashes we've seen are gnarly right. with that turned off. And that's where I get to the safety side of this, where this is where I start not liking the fact that Polaris has gone out and created an auto cycle category because it's what that does is the vehicle has to adhere to motorcycle regulations, which in terms of like vehicle safety are pretty fucking lax. It doesn't have airbags. It doesn't have uh crumple zones. You, Yep. Don't have it go through rigorous crash testing like the IIHS does and have a safety rating. Uh, I mean, Polaris has done some of their own stuff, but it doesn't have to have yep. all these regulations that have made cars really safe over the last 20 years because it's still technically a motorcycle. And what the auto cycle thing does, and this is this is fair, it, it removes the requirement for the driver to have a motorcycle endorsement which I think is absolutely spot on. There's nothing about this that is sure. motorcyclish. Sure. But as a vehicle, it's really, really low and the blind spots are pretty egregious and it's just, it's just hard for people to see you. It's hard for you to see other things. And like, I would really hate to think what would happen if I crashed in one. And we were actually talking about this before the launch started and we had a couple of car journalists and you know, we were, we were having like a fairly frank conversation about life insurance policies and I, a couple of my colleagues from the four-wheeled side were like, I specifically requested not to share a car or to share a slingshot with another journalist just because this thing is so unsafe or the perception of it's being so unsafe. I didn't want someone 
else to be responsible for my life. I didn't want, you know, Bob to be doing donuts and for us to crash. Now I'm dead because Bob can't drive. Hmm. Um, and like in the, and I should preface in the car world, like that's a common thing where the journalists will share time in the car. So one guy's in the driver's seat, one yeah. guy's in the passenger seat, and then I'll switch around halfway through. Mostly guys, but yeah. Um, so I think that's interesting because like, you know, for me, like it's funny to be like a motorcyclist and like, oh, it's not safe, but it's like, you know, you sit there and for all intents and purposes, this is a car. It's a three-wheel car. It's not a three-wheeled motorcycle, despite what the laws might be, despite what the definitions might be. Yeah. It acts, it, you know, it quacks like a car. It flies like a car. <laughs> it's a car. Yeah. And it, but it doesn't have the most important part of a car, which is the safety and the regulations that come with that. And it's just like, I don't know if we've opened Pandora's box by creating an auto cycle category in 40 states. Now I can see why Polaris would want that. And maybe there's a, a an upside from like a consumer point of view, but like the base model, and that's one of the new models for 2018 is the slingshot S starts at 20 grand. And then the, the top of the line model, which is the SLR LE, which I think is also new for 2018. That's at 31 grand. There's a lot of cars between those two price points that are very similar, but are way more safer. Like, like a Miata like or a Miata. I think, we, and that was what we brought up when we were riding in the thing in Coda. Right. Was that choice to be made? I'm going to take the Miata. Like, it's not even a question for me. I I get the power to weight ratio and all that crap and it does look it does look interesting even though i think it's but ugly but it's a it's an attention getting thing there's some good things oh, to man. it but i'd rather just have a miata miata is going to have better road holding and it's gonna it's gonna go faster around corners and it's gonna be safer right? so many people stopped and stared and took photos and asked questions about it it's definitely an attention getting vehicle so I get that perspective and I get like kind of like the sports side of it where like, well, it is kind of like a silly fun car because you can just get the rear end loose all day long and you can't really do that in Miata or you don't really want to do that in Miata per se, not to the same level at least. But then I still come back to him like, yeah, but it's going to take up like an entire bay in my garage and yeah. I can put a lot of bikes in there or let's, and let's say I have to give up that real estate. Wouldn't I want like a sporty car instead? That's like a real car. Yeah. Put the top up air conditioning. Air conditioning, luggage, Roll the car over, not safe, die. airbags, yep. side curtain crumple airbags, yep. crumple zones. Man, like that's the thing I keep coming back to. Like you crash that thing, you're going to have a GM Ecotec motor in your lap. Just straight up. It's going to be in your lap. It has nowhere else to go. There's no bumper on this car. There's no there's no rear bumper for sure. Um, tire as bumper. You know, you just right? kind of. rubber. Oh, and they put these Kenda tires on them. Kenda, they're, they're kind of bad. <laughs> yeah, they are kind of bad. Um, I don't know. This Kenda, Kenda makes some wicked, awesome off-road stuff. So you know, what, you're just saying it because this no, has no, a bad name, no, or like no, it's the same tires that were on that Victory that we rode, the Octane. Well, not the same tire, but it's the same brand of tires. Like their on-road stuff, I find to be lacking. Right. Um, there was so much. Not, they've def, they've more gotten about a lot. That, bike that was lacking that they, I didn't notice they, the tires. They, they've gotten a lot better in the last couple of years. Uh, I'd say the last five years they've definitely made some steps. Yeah. But like, it's not a Pirelli. It's not sure, a Michelin. Sure. It's, it's not, not like you're putting a Pirelli P zero on that, right? Which would be probably pretty wicked. Pretty wicked, were. sick. Yeah, that thing would be a little race car. Um, you know, if I want to be like like critique it as like a driver, 
the brakes are super squishy, the turning, like you're just constantly turning the wheel. So it takes really long to turn. They've improved the suspension for 2018. I think it's pretty good. It's fully adjustable. Um, my thing is I just come down to like the $20,000 model is too base to be appealing. Like it doesn't have a radio or anything. Like, so you're just kind of stuck there, uh, driving this, you know, and it's Polaris. So like the quality just isn't that good. And you, you remember from oh, Austin. Dude, I cannot stand the, when I look at the engineering that went into some of it, I get that it's very functional. It's very robust. Fair enough. But if you look at it in a very critical manner, it looks heavy and dumpy right yeah. like some of the structures just look like straight up it looks like american in america designed it and that's unfortunately kind of the way i view a lot of american designs they're not light and lift and this goes for the car industry in general only just within the past decade do you look at fords and think hmm, somebody actually switched on and trying to make light right general all-around good vehicles doesn't mean they are good but when I drive a Ford rental car now compared to what it was in the 90s, holy crap, it's a completely different yeah. thing, right? It, it just feels like it came off the same like assembly line like a uh, golf cart came off of. The same level of like like little Cushman golf cart build yeah. quality. Sure. And that's okay. That's not bad. You know, I don't 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 get me wrong, but like at $20,000, I'm kind of like, "Huh," and I don't have like navigation or a radio or anything. So then I got to pay like 23 or 21 to go up to the next price point where I get some of the stuff. But well, then I get to the the $31,000 version, and I'm like, you know what I can get for just about the same amount of money? A sweet little BMW. And that makes me start thinking about things. Yeah. You know, like, you've you've spent way too much money on something that's not, it's not a $30,000 vehicle. It just isn't. Just if straight up. I had up. 30 grand to, to buy a vehicle that was going to be weather kind of, dependent right let's call it that because you can't like something that i'm not going to be comfortable with unless it's a fairly nice day it's going to be it's going to be a caterham super seven it's going to be a uh a lotus seven derivative it, it's it's going to be a kit car that's a lotus seven or and that for for 30 grand you could do that you could easily do that i'm sure of it i'd have to we'll have to do some digging but that would be what i would go for four wheels if I got to be in a freaking cage, I might as well be in a, uh, something that's bitching, light, small. Yeah. I get it. I tell you what, you can fit a big fat American in one of these things for sure. They they surprise me how roomy they are, and you can't do that in a caterham. But that would be that. That's I just don't. That, I I think we said this on the podcast when we talked about it last. This is but I didn't get to drive it with you, and the, and the, but that was my initial impression: a buzzy four cylinder engine with no soul. It's fast, but that's about it. And I, I just wasn't into it. I do like that they're doing the Ecotech engine because that means there's a lot of bolt-on stuff already out there in the, in the sure. ecosystem that yeah. they could tap into, and that's cool. I, I mean, I just don't get it. It's not for me. Let's put it that way. Um, I'm not going to buy it as a motorcycle replacement. I'm not going to buy it as a car replacement. I don't have the space to have weird vehicles like that in my life. It'd be, it's one of those things I think like everyone should go out and like rent one at some point and drive it because I think that it is fun and you'd have a hoot doing it and it'd be great for like a weekend, especially like out in Southern California sure. near the beach where sure. it's a land of perpetual sunshine and, and have that be like your weekend car or whatever. Absolutely. I get that. But like after that, like the novelty of it would be like, eh, okay, I'm kind of over it. Yep. Um, and then living up here in Oregon where we get rain and snow, I'd just be like, eh. nope. 
I'm good. I'm not putting studded tires on that thing. That would be kind of fun though. Mm-hmm. But I'm not doing it. Yeah. So interesting to go see it. Um, Polaris is definitely invested in that brand. I think that we're going to see more three wheeler type stuff from them in the future. They've sold 20,000 of these things in the last three years. So they're going, someone's buying them. There's a market for it somewhere. Um, it's just not you and I, Quentin. Nope. Um, so more power to them on that. And, um, you know, I would love to see something at like the $15,000 price point. I don't know how that happens, but that for me would make me start rethinking some things. And then maybe, I don't know. I keep coming back to the safety side of it and everything's just so cheap. And that, that sling shade thing I was showing you. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if that was, it was like fiberboard or something like it was super, <laughs> super cheap. Yeah. It felt so, so it wasn't bad. structural at all. No, not at all. Okay. I mean, like I could have broken it with my hands, like lightweight. Yeah. Lightweight. It was purely for show and it's, it just feels cheap. It just felt so cheap. That's the thing that just really struck me. I'm like, man, I'd hate to spend $20,000 on this. Cause even a Miata at like 23 grand or whatever doesn't feel that cheap. Oh no, no, they're nice. So let's get off of this. Let's yep. move to another failing American brand. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. That's mean. Players is actually crushing it, by the way. Their yeah. numbers are coming out. They're crushing it. Um, but let's talk about Harley Davidson and their, <laughs> their 13 new models. You know, put the, put the quotes in the air, new models. Yeah. But the big news was that, so eight of those bikes come from, them merging the Dyna line and the Softail line into one, which is now going to live on as the Softails. So most people aren't going to under, and myself included, yeah. aren't really going to know other than the Dyna was for the longest time like the, it was like the Ford F-150 of their line. It was a very specific chassis that was made for, I mean, I, I wish we had more Harley-esque people that could describe what a Dyna would be, but there was the Dyna Wide Glide and the Dyna this and the Dyna that. It was the basis for a lot of the uh, soft tail stuff, right? But it wasn't a soft tail. Well, it was a, the confusing thing. So we should f- figure out. I think the Dyna is a twin shock, right? That you should don't see the, care. the look of confusion and yeah. All right, well, don't care. I, there was a one point in time where I made a point to sit down and understand the the Harley da- the differences between all Harley Davidson models, and I just stopped caring. When all you have to do is get a cookie cutter, shape it in the shape of a Harley Davidson, and just cut, and cut, just, cut, 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 cut. And that, doesn't and matter what part, it like, is. That's the part where like, I kind of sit here with with these bikes, and they're all visually different. They have different variations. And like, okay, that's cool. You've got like 31 flavors, like literally 31 flavors of the same machine. So you're really kind of hitting every possible customer you could have. Like there's, there's going to be a bike for them if they're into that look. But like sit me down and really like, ask me the differences between the touring line and the dyno line and the soft tail line and the CVO bikes and all the stuff. And you're just like, Oh yeah. I mean, I can kind of tell you like this and this and that, but like, it's like all the same shit, <laughs> you know? Well, the, what's different though, is they, they have a different motor with counterbalancers, do. which is of note for everybody to know that. And this is one of the things that it's difficult to do when you have a 45 degree V twin, which I would assume the new one's still 45 degree has the, a very specific sound. The Milwaukee 8 motor? Yeah. Yeah. So it has a very specific sound, and they have a shared crank pin um, for, for the rods and the crank pin, and they have a knife and fork style rod, which keeps the the cylinders in the same plane. Uh, so you can't rev them that high because one rod is, is 
weaker than the other one. And well, actually, they're both weak because they're kind of Siamese together in a strange way. I hate when my, my rod is weak. <laughs> bad rod, bad weak rods. So that's a that's kind of the characteristic of them. And this is where they patented the, the sound was that potato, potato, potato sound. Because of the way the architecture of the engine is, that was the main thing. So as long as they're sticking with that, the reason why they have to like fight to stick with it, though, is because a 45-degree V-twin is like having two big-ass singles not far away from each other as far from a, uh, a vibe standpoint, right? It's just shake, 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 shake as, as, that, uh, as the pistons are coming up and down. They're both going up and down at almost simultaneously, right? They're, they're just the one is firing every other. So it shakes bad, and it's like Taylor Swift shaking, and then you've got uh, rubber-mounted motors now yeah. for the past, I don't know, a long time, probably since at least the Evo, uh, so to keep the thing from rattling other parts together, it's just such an awful, this engine design is is critically horrible, but it does give them feel. There's a very good vibe and feel to these engines, I have to say, having ridden enough Harleys to kind of have a mild appreciation for the way it makes power and the, the way it feels when it does make the power. Now they can solid mount the engine to the frame because it has counterbalancers. They've added complexity, but that complexity comes with the ability to lock the whole thing solid. And the pictures of the bikes as they showed them, what is it, last week or two weeks ago, it's kind of a revolution for them because they're they're obviously bending towards more performance so that it, the, these bikes are going to be better handling, hopefully. Because they have the motor locked in a little bit better, uh, less vibes in general, and you look skeptical. You say that, and I just like I just want to who paid you, like who who got you, Quinn? I don't know. I have to who got I, you? I, until I ride one. I'm not gonna. I'm no, not gonna, that's fair. The, that one that has the they even they even admitted the Battlestar Galactica inspired headlight. I kind of in like a morbidly <laughs> weird way like that bike. And I mean, it has a Diavel looking setup straight up. They're like, hmm, we're going to have to answer to this and make a sport oriented cruiser, like a, you know, muscle cruiser. We're going to have to do this. And they did it with whatever that one is. Is it a fat Bob or fat I think, Joe? I think you're talking about the fat Bob. Yeah. Joe, Joe Bob or Billy Bob or whatever the fuck it is. So that, that kind of, that was the only one out of all of them. I'm like, hmm, I'd, I'd ride that. I'd like I'd like to go on that and see what it feels like. And maybe it does perform better. But same as with that slingshot. When you we talk about the way it looked and the way it um the way it was engineered, it's the same thing for me. All I see is weight. I just look at the things and all I see is tens of pounds of excess blah. And that sucks. But maybe it'll be better and it'll start they'll slowly morph as Harley does, slowly morph into a better motorcycle over the course of time and they'll have their sacred cow of a 45 degree v-twin or let's just call it a narrow degree v-twin they'll keep that because it has that sound and the feel yeah and then then they're able to have their cake and eat it too so they keep that that horrible engine and then they uh they're able to keep it so that it, it goes well yeah i mean i've heard only good things about the milwaukee 8 engine which is what they're they're using to power these bikes it's a uh, 107 and 114 cubic inch motor. And then the CVOs, I think, have 117. No, oh, wow. no sorry. Yeah, so, yeah, the CVOs have that Screaming Eagle. No, oh, sure. America flag. America. Um, engine. For me, though, I just, I just don't buy it. I don't buy the Kool-Aid. Like, it's the same old, it's the same old stuff. And you came out with eight new ones and you're basically just making 30 of the exact same bike in my mind. 
and I look at what's happening to Harley Davidson with their market shrinking, the sales are down, the U.S. is doing horribly, and your response to this, and and understand too, like they killed off the V rod very quietly. So your response to this is to get rid of the bike that had any sort of technology and performance actually in it, and to then double down on this kind of like same play that you've been doing, like you like your solution to your business proposition not working is to double down on the business proposition that's not working. It's the same old, it's the same old shit in my book. And yeah, maybe some of the bikes, the bikes are probably better than they were before, but that's like, that's like for the last decade when every MV Augusta was better than the one that came up before it. And we're like, well, the bar's so low. So of course it is. <laughs> oh, it performs so much better. Well, of course it does, Quentin, because they finally mounted the motor in the in, in the frame correctly. And they're not using rubber gaskets everywhere they can to get rid of vibrations because their motor's a bag of dicks with no <laughs> handles and completely useless. So you just sit there and you're just like, yeah, you can sing the praises, but like, it's because it was so bad to begin with. It's like, oh, they're finally in the, you know, 20th century. It's like, yeah, because they've been in the 19th century for so long. And what they need is a 21st century solution. And I just sit there and just like, you know, this is how Harley Davidson dies. Like, you're just going to keep making these same bikes, hoping someone's going to show up and buy them. What about the live wire? Do you don't think the live wire will come live in the next couple of years? And maybe this is the. Maybe. I mean, the company that built it no longer exists. So, you know, now what? Yeah, well, the the company that built it gave them enough of a blueprint, right? It's not like I'm not saying it's not rocket science. There's a lot of, and I know all too Alta too well that it takes a lot to drink <laughs> to to make an electric bike worth uh, worth its weight go, and and especially to to take to market. But you know, if you're all you're doing is going after the low low bar and not not like a low bar. Uh, to what is it what is that game when you have to go under the limbo limbo and that's a low bar that you want to set that's like a positive no it's not that this is a low bar just to get off the ground of you know crappy cruisers and if you have some electric bike whatever they're thinking that they can do but it's probably one of the only use cases for electric that might actually work because it doesn't matter it's that it's heavy so you can put a lot of kilowatt hours and you might be able to go pretty far if you have even a modicum of of aerodynamics with a bike like that, maybe they will be okay. I doubt, yeah, I mean, it. we know that they're going to build something like the live wire. They've they've announced as, as much as such. Um, but you know, okay, that's one bike. Yeah, it's one bike out of the thirty something odd bikes you sell. I mean, there's still it's still a company that's so focused on the baby boomers and it's so focused on this like cruiser aesthetic and all the marketing is like America this freedom that what was it. Uh, the, the the marketing for the, the freedom bikes. machine it was the freedom machine which was a great rip off on our friend Jamie Robinson who, who named his movie freedom machine I believe maybe he got some uh, payola from that I hope so he should be talking to someone about it so he's just like like that's my thing with Harley Davidson like they've they've made being patriotic and American so kitsch that like it kills the brand for me right there but then like I look at the bikes I'm just like it's 31 flavors of the same vanilla and it's like, if you really like vanilla, man, do we got some options for you. We got some choices. But if you're a chocolate guy, you're pretty much fucked. Like, there's just nothing here for me. And I'm a chocolate guy. I want something more. Like, give me a rocky road. <laughs> I was say rocky road. You know, give me, like, give, me, give me something, you know, give me some sex appeal. 
I mean, I'm with you. I like the Fiat Bob. There's a couple of bikes that came out. I'm like, that oh, looks good. Never would buy one. Never would want to ride one. Um, well, that's the difference for me is I want to ride one. I'll I'll go on one of these. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I want to ride one to have the reference for it. But like, if you say, "Hey, Jensen, let's go do a cross country trip on a Harley on a Fat Bob," I'm like, eh, do I have to? No, but I I would think it would be an awesome death match or something like that to to get a Diablo and then ride this new thing. Yeah, we know the Diablo is going to be fast and all, but I bet that Harley does things differently where you're riding the Diablo no, most no, no. of the time. Anyway, Absolutely. I'd be interested because you know that. what the Harley Davidson does that the Diablo doesn't do it gets yeah. you into the Harley Davidson club. And that's the number one thing that sells these bikes. You get to be a part of the Harley Davidson yeah, club. Yeah, sure. You're you not a motorcycle guy, enthusiast. You're a Harley Davidson enthusiast. Yeah, you get to be, you get the special key. And that's the thing that Indians trying to crack into. And that's what all these brands need to figure out is the fact that what sells Harley Davidson is admittance into the club. I'm not buying a motorcycle. I'm buying a $30,000 two-wheeled key into a, a club, into a cult. And I get to be part of those people. Indians trying to, you know, come in through the back door. And I think it's really, really interesting and they might have success. But like, that's the thing that I don't think Ducati understood. That's the thing that the Japanese brands didn't understand with the Metro. They're like, oh, we're going to build a better machine. It has all this technology. It has all this horsepower. It has all this reliability. It has all this build quality. It has all this price point. Harley Davidson owners don't give a fuck because it doesn't get you into the club. These get you into the club. Some of them are interesting. I hope it works out for them. I mean, I want to see an American brand succeed. Absolutely. But I sit there and I just kind of wonder sometimes about what's going on in Harley Davidson headquarters, where it's just like, look at the environment around you, look at the landscape, look at where motorcycles are going, look where your brand is going, look what your tra- your sales trends are headed. And your solution was to keep was to double down and keep doing what you've been doing. That worries me. I, I haven't looked to see what their stock's done on the announcement of this. I'd be very curious. What would you do, though? I mean, from a constructive criticism standpoint, what would you... Well, first of all, I would have... I mean, I wrote a series about this. First of all, about... Well, I've been doing asphalt for almost nine years now, so I wrote this about five, six years ago. The number one thing was capitalize on the cafe racer scrambler thing that's going on. You have this whole hipster movement, and you're not feeding into it. And they, they seem to be trying, though. They the, are now. The hooligan thing and the flat track thing, they well, are pu- trying. But who's pushing super hooligan? Indian. Yeah. Okay. But Harley is is for sure trying their best to They got to, a little bit. And that cuz but that Street 750 and that Street 500 those are garbage bikes. Everyone who rides them says they're garbage bikes. I'm sure if we talked to Letitia when a microphone wasn't in front of her she'd be like this bike is garbage. <laughs> you know? But cuz that's they just are. They're just these poorly built cheap little cruisers. And they're completely taking them completely apart and putting all new parts on them to make them work for racing. So it's like, well, what, what was the point then? Um, I think a street tracker with that, with that big V twin motor would have been killer. I think the XR 1200, I don't know why you get rid of that bike and make a 750 version of it. You could have a, a bitchin standard style bike. It didn't sell though, did it? Didn't really give it a chance though either. I mean, that's, that's the hardest thing is. With Harley Davidson, their dealers are so focused on selling to a single type of person, yeah. a single type of buyer. You can come out with all sorts of cool shit, like the V Rod, yeah. and it won't sell because you've you've hyper niched it. So you need to be able to expand that base, and I think you can do that with a Scrambler type bike and a Cafe Racer type bike because it's an aesthetic play on a similar type of motorcycle. We're already seeing people taking, you know, Bonnevilles and old Hondas and and Harleys and doing this kind of treatment to them. So it kind of already makes sense. And then you can kind of build that into more of a street segment that includes like street trackers and standards and nakeds 
and then you can just build out from there. Like I don't, I think. You, well, here's a great example. Look at the bikes from Buell that actually, you know, are spoke of with fondness. You know, so those. Like, Which one would that be? Well, like like the Ulysses and those and those yeah. bikes. Like they have a yeah. strong core. Like when you yeah, talk sure. about, you know, bikes that Buell did right. Those are the comments. Like, yeah, that was actually a pretty decent bike for Buell, for mm-hmm. Buell. Mm-hmm. But you know, it wasn't the 1125. It wasn't um, the Blast. It wasn't all these like all these weird bikes. But it made sense to put that weird v-twin engine in a more touring style bike that wasn't super performance focused that was like hey this is all about miles this is all about character this is about having something different that made sense now get rid of all the weird buell stuff and put it through like the harley davidson filtering machine and i think you come out with a pretty interesting standard tour kind of thing that could appeal to a different type of market um and then you just keep growing it out from there i think you know, the electric thing with the live wire, I feel is going to be, that's going to be the new V rod where like, they're going to debut it and everyone be like, Oh, isn't that so interesting? Look at all the technology. This is not a Harley Davidson. This is not something we want. This bike might have the right badge, but it doesn't get you into the club. You're going to show up at bike night with all the other Harley guys and be like, no, sir, park it around the corner, please. Right next to the V rods and the, uh, the Honda rebels and you know, the Yamaha stars and all those other, other machines. I'm nodding my head. He he's right. Yeah, it, it's tough. You know, like I, I get the 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 rock and the hard place that Harley is in. Like you're gonna have to at some point abandon your base, and they're not. They're just not at that point yet for them. And and to be fair, I don't know if that would be the right thing to do when you still sell a quarter million bikes. Yeah, that's year. the thing. That from a from a number standpoint. We but ha- at some point we you're have gonna have to make. Base. Hey, you know what? At some point you're gonna have to do it though, because yeah. every year. You're losing demographic and you're not building it back up with millennials and Gen X or 30 somethings don't buy bikes. So yeah, I get it, but when are you going to do it? Gen X or 30 somethings don't buy bikes. Yeah. You look at the sales trends. I'll show you a graph after, yeah. after the show. It'll scare the shit out of you. But you think about it. That's the point in time when people start getting married, start having kids. Let's be honest. This the industry is 90% men. So that's when guys are having their girlfriend or wife saying like, Hey, I'm not getting married to you while you have a bike or not in my house. And then you have a kid and you're like, Oh, I got to take my resources elsewhere. But then we see it like 40 years old, all of a sudden bike sales start coming back up. Yeah. I, you know, my kids in school were sit, were situated Sure. in my life. I'm having a midlife crisis. So I'm going to go get a motorcycle because I had one when I was 18. I'm 40 and I, uh, I'm at the tail end of the Gen Xers. So most of those Gen Xers, are well into their 40s now, right? Well, I mean, I'm a Gen Xer too, and I'm younger than you, but it's it's that time and it's that point in time when you stop being a single, I mean, let's be frank, a single male living for themselves and become start becoming a family man. And that's the sales trend where it's that that shift in that point in time. Now, some people hit that point in time in their early 20s. Some people hit that point in time in their 40s. But you can see the sales trend, like it dips right around Some people 30. persevere and continue to ride motorcycles in spite of well bullshit like that, right? There's that part of it too. But I mean, <laughs> for some people, like it's a money thing. It's just like, hey, yeah. I've got that $20,000 toy. My kid needs braces. My kid needs to go to soccer camp. My kid needs then, to have a college savings account. I think it's up account. to us to be like, you don't need a $20,000 toy. You should stay in the motorcycles. Don't abandon it. Go buy a two thousand dollar toy because you but, can have pretty much every but, bit of fun. But on Quentin, that. we know how many people buy bikes on credit, so it's 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 maybe yeah. not so much the twenty thousand dollar toy; it's that four hundred dollar a month payment. 
or it's the I can't fix or keep up with a $2,000 bike. Fair enough. I can understand that. I'm pretty privileged when it comes to that. I can look at any piece of shit, anything, including a 30-year-old van and say, hmm, hmm, man, 30-year-old European van. Oh, yeah. I'm okay with that. I'll I'll deal with all the problems that I'm going <laughs> to definitely incur, right? Yeah, yeah, because I can. I'm I'm fortunate. And I think I see the motorcycles in the same way. That's another reason why I like weird stuff. I kind of know in the back of my head that if it does break, when it does break, I can fix it. Uh, so maybe that's a, a trend that we see people are like, nah. Well, and also understand there are motorcyclists and there's people that own motorcycles. Yeah. I'd be willing to bet if you listen to this podcast, you're a motorcyclist because you're deep into it. Yeah. Whereas there's some people just like, I own a motorcycle and next year I'm going to get jet skis and the year after that I'm going to get a slingshot. And then um, I'm going to go mountain climb or then, I'm going to go. Yeah, surf I'm going to go or, parasailing and like yeah. that. You're just that's just whatever it is this this year yeah. or this fad or whatever this phase is. Sure. So there's that part, too. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that's part of that. No, it's a big deal. Um, so, yeah, interesting, interesting stuff from from Harley. I'm, I'm sad to see the V-Rod go. I think that was like the last grasp at maybe a future well, for the brand. Reach out to the old uh, marketing department. Try and get your hands on one of those fat bobs. I want a fat bob around. I you, want try. A fat, you want a fat bob? I do. I want a big fat bob. You want to, okay. You want to ride a fat bob? I do. Let's just leave that there. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. We'll see. Yeah. Put it, put the feelers out there. They're probably like, oh, you do that Who? thing on the internet? Who? Yeah. I thought that internet fad had ended. <laughs> um, you know what doesn't end? What's that? BMW recall. <laughs> <laughs> BMW is uh, on its fifth recall in five weeks, Quentin. Uh, how much would you, how, how happy are you that you don't work for that brand? Oh, man. I, you know, it's funny. The, there was a, uh, a comment. I think it was on the uh, Instagrams somewhere. You might have posted up a, thing on the two two enthusiasts because i keep forgetting that i have an instagram account for two enthusiasts and some some person was like well i want to know what's up with all the bmw hate and i'm like what, <laughs> what bmw hate uh, well, <laughs> we don't make the recall yeah i was about to say no i mean i i'm sure if somebody's listening deeply they understand that i have a fairly deep aversion to the brand because i think most of their bikes are ridiculous and stupid really but uh. there are some good ones and i know it and i will freely admit it you can't refute that an s1000r does the job you can't refute that a gs even is ridiculous and stupid and heavy and overbuilt and dumb engine configuration does get the job done and the marketing has done pretty well for them over the past couple decades because of it but then you get to see all of these recalls and that's why that's why they hate because it's so easy to do because right i like bmw i think bmw does a really good job they're crushing it right now in terms of sales they've got a number of crushing it crushing it well what do you define crushing it uh record sales years for like five years in a row in in the world in the world what about in the u.s not so good this year no no one's doing well in the u.s this year period full stop name name one brand that's growing in the u.s this year maybe ktm haven't, I can't think of the numbers off the top of the head. Maybe K2. No, and I bet they are because the dealers that I've been going to as an Alta rep, when I'm asking them how's everything going, the ones that are only dirt are stoked. They're like, no, I'm having a great year. But again, one of those things where like, like saying that KTM's having a great year in the US, it's like, well, you've been doing such a horrible job yeah. historically yeah. that it's really not that hard for you to have a great year. 
for BMW to be having a great year, I feel like that's that's of note. That says something. Sure. Like you know, you've been doing it for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a number of bikes um, BMW's lineup. I would put in my garage if I had to only have one bike. I would think about a GS, and I would think about an S1000 XR. Um, <laughs> can't fathom it. Right? Oh, that you engine. ride a Multistrada. That, Those are two bikes that compete against the Multistrada. I know, and neither, neither of them do anything even close to as good. So I, I think no. of that the XR and that buzzy, shitty engine. Well, the buzzy thing is oh my god, just like the antithesis of what I would want in an engine. The GS. Just heavy, just heavy. And it's heavy, but I mean, I would, I would, I it, like KTM would be so like it's not even even in the same realm. Like it would be a KTM so quickly for me. I would rather deal with whatever BS I'm going to have to deal with for to have an adventure tour. But you know what? Okay, so here's here's an interesting thing. This gets us back on track with the recall. Um, I have definitely bought motorcycles based on how much support i thought i was going to get from that brand or that yeah, dealer post sale sure and bmw takes care of its people so like it's one of those things where we can sit here and be shitty about five recalls in five weeks you know <laughs> and i think and i truthfully believe part of that is bmw got the ire of nitsa and now it's all right what can we find yeah let's go see hey and, uh, so let's explain that so because okay. they tried to get away with the fork recall or whatever you're going to call the telelever, paralever, front suspension the front recall. Suspension. Yeah. They tried to kind of get around that by, eh, it's a technical service bulletin. No, this is a major safety issue. Smack, smack, smack. Oh, you don't have reflectors on whatever on the bike? 30,000 bikes that you sell with panniers? Yeah. Right. Or your police model bikes when you turn the lights on? For the pursuit lights, your brake light no longer works. <laughs> or, hey, by the way, two of your scooter models, they don't have the correct wheel size stamped on the front wheel. So you're going to have to stop sell those. And, oh, by the way, your hipster heritage air-cooled boxer thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's swing arm. Something about the swing arm. swing arm might fall off. <laughs> yeah. Right, <laughs> you know, um, I have a, there's a, a dealer that was a Ducati dealer. Is a Ducati dealer in uh, in uh, uh, New Orleans that well, every time a, a recall would come out, it would just be some snarky, shitty comment about oh another recall because there are a few in the Ducati realm over the past ten years. I'll say that a lot of kicks in recalls, right? <laughs> so uh, they just became a BMW dealer. It's just just within the past few weeks. And then as soon as they become a Ducati dealer or a BMW dealer, boom, all these recalls. So I keep seeing pictures of them renovating their showroom or showing the stupid amount of computers that they have to uh, get going to work on BMW motorcycles. And then recall, recall, recall. And there's a little bit of schadenfreude that's going on with that because all the shit that they would talk about the recalls in the, in the Ducati land. And then that's the thing is that on Ducati land, the recalls all seem very blah, like over, overdoing it to get to some of the stuff like kickstands. Oh yeah, it's a safety issue, but not the forks coming on. There's recalls and there's recalls. Like I would say half of these, BMW recalls. The only one that really gets me is like the front suspension on the GS. Yeah. That's serious. For sure. That's serious. And I'm sure that swing arm thing is. And that swing arm thing sounds kind of crazy too. I'd have to see the exact thing, like what it is. The reflectors, give me a fucking break. Nanny state bullshit. That's why I sit there though. I'm like, that's you pissed off someone at NHTSA. Yeah, for sure. You pissed off someone at NHTSA for that to get to that level. And it's the same kind of thing like, oh, you didn't stamp the wheels with the rim size. Nanny state. Really? Horrible. But it's like... 
The police one, like, I don't even, I guess, I mean, yeah, okay, but I mean, how do you even, how does that even happen? But whatever. It's interesting. Um, uh, but so, they're taking care of the thing. And so they, they're taking care of the thing, and they sent on a letter to their dealers. Yeah, that's what that I was wanting to ask you about, because this is an interesting thing. Yeah. So they, And this they, is great. Now, if you're listening to this, go to asphaltandrubber.com and go to this, you know, type in whatever you need to type in to find this. BMW sends a letter to their dealers, because Jensen did a wonderful job of picking the picture that he used for this. But don't click on the picture, because that doesn't take you to the story. That's the problem here. Click on the article or see continue reading. Don't think there's that, a button that says continue reading. What part of this do you not understand? <laughs> it should be the picture. So <laughs> the picture is this: the dude in like in, in a dark room with. And the way they can see arrow is that they put on uh, a liquid that is um, phosphorescent. Uh, yeah, it goes with black light. So it, it's just the dude. Oh, it could be. It's a person. It's a. It could be it's female. No, oh, it's a dude. Yeah, you know, but it could be. But you know, it's a dude. Well, whatever. So the person is on the bike and just it's just all the crap all over him. I thought was I go kudos to Jensen for picking an excellent picture to say that the dealers are like, listen, we're sorry about this uh, recall thing. I spend about as much time picking the photo as I do on the story. I would say more often than not, there's a reason a story has a certain photo, and that one for sure was a. I can't wait to see this. Slash Bukaki slash <laughs> R&D procedure. And I'm just like, this is the perfect melding of this story. <laughs> but it's interesting because, so BMW sends this letter out to its dealers. And it's basically saying all the things that they're going to do to make it right. Not only for them, the dealers, but also for the customers. And this is where I think BMW has a lot of strength. And we saw that when the R1200 RT got recalled. Uh, I believe it was last year with the, the electronic suspension. Yeah. And you know, they sit there and just like, hey, we're going to give you a bike. We're going to give you 250 bucks. The, the pannier, the people affected by the panniers, they're going to get like a $250 soft luggage thing so they can still put stuff and haul it around on their bike. You know, so BMW is really good at making sure that their customers are taken care of. And that's the power of the brand. And like I said before, like there's definitely been, there's definitely a bike in my garage right now that I bought because I knew that brand was going to take care of me post sale. And there's definitely bikes I haven't bought because I knew that wasn't going to be the case. And that's that's the name of the game. You know, like and we can sit here and we can be poopy about BMW and all these recalls because it is a lot. Five and five weeks. I'm just waiting for next week to see what the next one is. You know, it's like it's a like a bad season of Game of Thrones. Like I just have to tune in next week to see what horrible Who, happens. Who's gonna get killed this time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in this case, the Roundel uh seems to just make all these googly-eyed sycophants just look at the roundel and it's like it's like they're being hypnotized by oh well this is a quality product the ultimate driving machine quality product and they go to it and you know what I but don't you know what shit. what is, what is that what does quality mean because at the end of the day like if i'm going to be taken care of and i'm going to be given that premium experience it's just as much to have a premium product as it is to have a premium service yeah they sure. have to go hand in hand and i think that's one of the things that like Ducati and Triumph and some of these brands don't get. I think Harley Davidson does an extremely good yeah. job of it, actually. So, you know, going back to like to. talking about like, you know, we can sit here and talk shit, but the fact that there's like a Harley Davidson club that you have to get into, that there's a Harley Davidson owners group that goes on these rides and that it's this huge family that you basically buy your way into by, by, by getting a motorcycle, that shows about how important the service side is to the product side or the experiential side is to the mechanical side. It's you got to have the total package, and BMW is doing a great job of that. And I would say like KTM is a brand that doesn't do that at all. Like, yeah, you might have a superior mechanical machine, but your after sales treatment, your like owners group stuff, like it's just not there. 
It's just not. Yeah, the culture isn't there. It's dirt bike culture. It's like dirt bike culture. Like you sell bike, and it's warrant warranted for like fifteen minutes after you leave, and that's about it. And there's <laughs> an expectation, so they have they've had to figure out how to get their expectations set as well for sure uh a, a quick anecdote is going to all, a lot of shops uh, and interacting um from a service side uh with a lot of people especially discussing it on the electric side because there's not a whole lot that's going to break on an electric vehicle there's a lot that you have to diagnose or problems or whatever but no rods pistons valves all this other complex stuff a lot of the shops will talk about how the japanese some of them Sw- just just sweep it under the rug. Like Honda does not need to give a shit. They don't. Uh, Hondas will blow up left, right, and center. Dirt bikes, street bikes, all kinds of problems. And there might be like blips of forum talk here and there that Hondas have issues here, here and there, but not enough to even do a partial dent because Hondas had such a good, um, the, the reliability, like it has a name as being reliable. And they they built have built that for forty fifty years, so I think that's very interesting that they don't really have to do a whole lot. But every once in a while, a brand like Kawasaki, and this is of of the major of note, is that a technician was telling me <clears throat> after I found a H two R Kawasaki completely apart in a shop, I look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I I'm stoked because I got to see where the supercharger inlet and exit are and all that stuff got to see the innards of a bike that I hadn't seen yet in person is really of note. I'm like, why is that thing apart? Right. That's of note that that thing is apart in a shop. Uh, customer made a modification. Are those even sold for warranty? I have no idea. I don't think they are. Well, customer. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Customer yeah. um, worked on their own machine. Uh, they think, and they're pretty sure that the customer left a bolt loose inside the air box, which is aluminum because it's pressurized and, it can't be plastic. It'll blow up. Uh, went through the intake track, fell down into the supercharger, blew it, basically just chewed up all the all the veins. And a supercharger is a very complex vein system. And the guy was like, uh, the tech was like, yeah, it's Kawasaki's supplying as, in a warranty, as a warranty, like Goodwill, I'll say, they're supplying a supercharger for this bike. And I was like, what, 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 right? Right, because I just looked up no warranty with that bike. Yeah, no doubt. If it's an H2R, no warranty. If it's CH2, you do. Yeah, this is an R. I'm pretty sure yeah. the thing that I was dealing with was the carbon weirdo thing. Yeah. I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure. Um, either way, it's been years, right? It's been two years since those bikes have been out. If, were they sold with a, a more than a year? It 12, could have been... 12-month limited in, warranty. In this case, it wasn't It wasn't aftermarket warranty. It, wasn't, it, was, it was Kawasaki themselves saying... This bike is important enough to where we are going to supply this piece for this. I don't know if they're paying for labor, uh, you know, whatever. They they could they could be in a true gesture of goodwill from a manufacturer is okay, fair enough. That's broken. We'll give you the part. You can take care of of, of labor. That's that's like classic goodwill. Sometimes they go a little bit further depending on what the problem is. If it's a known issue or whatever. In this case, it's not a known issue. Somebody screwed their bike up. And Kawasaki was made aware that, hey, this is a good chance that this person uh, did this. But they, they, they held up. And then the, the guy cited another example of a, a dirt bike that some manufacturing flaw, crank, bad deal, huge blow up, major issue. And they p- provided a motor for them. 
He's like the, the cowie just takes care of their stuff, which I thought was an interesting. I had, I don't really, I'm not around it enough to know that type of stuff. I never ask that much from the Japanese side, but every once in a while, I'll I'll pick up on something like that. So it's all about what you need to do. And in Cowie's case, they're a small enough company. They don't want a bad name. They want a good name. They want to continue to to do the things. Whereas Honda doesn't have to give a shit, right? So if somebody goes out and roaches a crank in a in a Honda, you know, an hour after they take it from the dealership. Honda can be cocky enough to be like, oh, yeah, sorry, too bad, right? It's interesting. Or it can just be Yamaha and be like, hey, we don't give a shit about your deathmatch, so we're not going to participate. Yeah, well, that's so true, that. right? And there's some hubris that goes along with that, with the Japanese manufacturers, which I'm not going to say it's going to be their downfall, but I think it, I mean, there's a reason why KTM's selling a lot of dirt bikes, right? A lot of dirt bikes. And, I, you know, they're taking away market share. And there's a reason why all these Euro manufacturers, even as, screwed up as they are are taking away market share because not everybody wants to deal with japanese kind of blah right tough note tough as note. you would say as tough I, note. I say it a lot unfortunately well let's go about let's move away from something you would say okay i'm mm-hmm. talking about the the synthetic fuel one. Oh, okay so so that was the story that actually i did today um bosch has come out with what they're calling a carbon neutral synthetic fuel which is kind of a weird thing um Fuel, basically hydrocarbons, a mixture of different hydrocarbons. Uh, Gasoline is at least. Um, Long chains. Yeah, lots of chains. All the chains. Best chains. We got all the chains. Um, But basic building blocks are carbon and hydrogen. So in Bosch's little synthetic fuel world, they're getting the carbon from carbon dioxide. And you get the hydrogen usually from water. And you use Don't we breathe carbon dioxide? We exhale carbon dioxide. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a part of the atmosphere. So, yeah, we breathe it in, but we don't but we, really. We emit it. Sorry. Yeah, so, yeah. That's basic respiration. Hmm. Plants do it. We do it. I have aspirations. I have aspirations about your perspiration. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, <laughs> I don't want I don't you to aspire I, to anything that I perspire. I don't know man. why I encourage you. <laughs> um, so their whole thing was that they figured out a way to pull the carbon atoms out of the carbon dioxide and to use that in the fuel making process. So when it comes to the combustion side, it's neutral because you're you're sucking carbon out of the system. You're sucking you're sucking in as much carbon as you're putting out in the in the system. The downside of course is that it uses a lot of electricity, but they're saying when you couple it with renewable energy sources, then it's carbon neutral throughout the whole process. And they're super smart that they're getting it from carbon dioxide because there's two there, not carbon monoxide because it's only one. Right? That's, a, that's a good insight, Quentin. <laughs> I'm glad you're here for this, buddy. <laughs> not, just carb- a pretty, not just a pretty face over there. This man knows his chemistry. Uh, um, so it's interesting because um, in the larger picture of things, you've got... Uh, the UK and France now are basically saying they're going to outlaw the, the sale of gasoline and diesel vehicles by, I think, 2040 or 2050. Uh, I'd have to double check those dates, but in the next several decades, um, we're seeing a push towards electrics, but the infrastructure is already out there for a fossil fuel type uh, system. Our vehicles obviously already run on fossil fuels. So here is a alternative um, carbon neutral fuel that already works with what we have the downside is synthetic fuels are very 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 expensive and bosch's whole thing is like well with some economies of scale 
we could use this as a blend, kind of the same way that the U.S. uses corn to make ethanol um, to help with the uh, offsetting how much carbon's going into the system. And but yeah, you basically put uh, an anode and a cathode in water and run electrical current through it, and the and electricity you, you separates the hydrogen, hydrogen yeah. and the oxygen out. You put you got to put little. Um, well, I mean, we, in chemistry class, you use test tubes, but you basically get collectors, the gas bubbles out of the water into the two collectors. And I forget which one's at the anode or the cathode, but the hydrogen goes to one, the oxygen goes to the other. You bubble it up, you if collect you've it. you've ever taken apart part of your motorcycle where you've had a steel bolt go into an aluminum case and the steel bolt has corroded over time, you're seeing a very, very light version of electrolysis happening right there. Um. And anodizing. If you have parts on your bike that are anodized, that's an electrolysis, isn't it? Yeah, going the other way, but yeah. yeah. Um, it would have to be a monumental amount well, to, to do it right from a scale standpoint. It all comes down to scale and price for what the going market rate is for gasoline. Right now we have, you know, hurricanes aside, pretty cheap access to petroleum. Um. I forget what the barrel price is, but it's probably close to $40 a barrel right now. I mean, when we think about like near recession prices, we were closing, I think, $110 a barrel. So, you know, pretty, pretty cheap to fuel things right now. And of course, in the US, we have. Thanks, Obama. I don't know how much that's Obama. I know. Thanks, OPEC, really, but. I'm I'm being ironic. Right. Um, But, you know, we have the strategic oil reserve, which kind of does some interesting things in terms of oil prices and, and our ability with is it, it like our strategic gold reserve <laughs> <laughs> the one that like no longer exists because it's like conspiracy theory the aliens took it out of fort knox or whatever um but, well, it, but i just it, wanted to illuminati that for a second yeah but we we definitely subsidize our gas prices in the u.s compared to like what our european counterparts have to pay and there's an element of you know as the gas price the price per barrel of petroleum goes up we can start accessing oil reserves in other places where it's just too expensive to drill now. Like you're not going to drill in the Arctic Circle with gas two dollars and fifty cents at the at the pump. You're just not going to do it. It's too expensive to go get the gas. You don't sell it for the right price. Five bucks a gallon, ten bucks a gallon. Drill, baby, drill. We're going to be able. We're going to be all up in that Arctic Circle. But it also starts changing the price point for electrics, as I'm sure you, you know. You guys at Alta start talking about like, hey, you know. Every time gas goes up, electricity get more viable. And yeah. it's the same thing with synthetic fuels where like, you know, I think in the motorcycle industry, we're more familiar with synthetic fuels in the terms of like VP racing fuel or whatever that crazy $100 a gallon race fuel is that you guys are using at Yamaha. Yeah. I don't I would bet dollars to donuts that those are primarily if not completely synthetic fuels because you can control how much Everything. octane molecules yeah, you got sure. there and heptane molecules and Whatever methyl you're gonna do, death. and exactly. all the methyl ethyl death. Um, uh, but you know those are very expensive to make. But there is gonna be a breaking point where, like, well, if it only costs seven dollars a gallon to make a synthetic fuel, but to get it from petroleum, the barrel price makes it like eight dollars a gallon at the pump. We're gonna be making synthetic fuel all day long. Uh, Bosch's big thing was just the fact that I think that they were gonna be able to their process involved carbon dioxide. And as, um, yeah, I mean, it electrolysis does take massive amounts of electricity. Absolutely. That's why it's so, that's why hydrogen fuel cells don't make a lot of sense in some cases. Yeah. Um, in some ways, I should say. But 
coupling it to renewable energy source, you know, we were talking before the show, like you could get a big ass solar panel, store a shit ton of energy and then go run electrolysis with it. And it costs you nothing except your opportunity cost. How much time, you know, like maybe you only make a hundred gallons of fuel from that and it takes a month to do it, but it didn't cost you anything because it's a renewable energy source. It's wind, it's, it's, uh, solar or like, you know, you go up to Portland, you know, I think you were saying this person lives near us. You just go up the river. There's a shit ton of dams that make thousands of kilowatts of energy every hour. And then you go further up and you see all the wind machines. All right. And if, if it's getting to a, a grid that is using the power, it makes sense. If right now we're working on battery stuff, whether it be compressed air or the use of normal to us batteries and Tesla is working on these major, you know, battery cells and banks to be able to store energy for over overnight or over weeks so right. that you can use it when you need it. And in this case, what, what they're saying is they're, you're just using water to do the, they're using dihydrous monoxide, right? To, <laughs> to get this, uh, to, to do the electrolysis. Is that right? Well, so essentially, there you, you could, if it's scaled correctly, you could have your own little home brewing uh, situation where you could be making fuel. Well, that's the thing. And Bosch does have this this really interesting um, kind of power station type thing or production station that fits into um, a shipping container. So you could, in theory, like set this up anywhere you wanted to. But like, like right here in Oregon would be a great example. You set it up right along the Columbia River, right next to one of these hydroelectric dams. Siphon water straight out of the river. That's always going to be snowpack meld anyways. And it's basically an, a free operation, except for the capital expenditure. And that sure. one I will I will give you. It's going to probably cost a lot of money to set up this sort of infrastructure and to build it up. But, I mean, when you're amortizing that over decades of use, what's, then you'd have what's, to know what's what, $10 billion over 50 years of use? And what what are the things that wear out during that, right? You, you're changing a- anodes and cathodes and electrodes and really. whatever the but things yeah. are. I, I don't know. I'm just I saying, mean, what could what could be the wheel in the dam every now and then? Whatever the thing <laughs> you is, know, right? Like, it's but if you stuff. think about a municipality saying, oh, I can buy uh, two of these or three of these uh, things that's going to fuel all of our city's vehicles, like, right, that would be with what I, the existing infrastructure that yep. they already have. Right. You're not so, going to need a supercharger power station. Yep. It's straight out of the pump, out of a gasoline nozzle into your internal combustion engine. Your car doesn't know the difference. Yeah. So that would be the thing for me is that that makes sense. Then it's if you start at municipalities where they can then justify the costs uh, in the beginning to then have it go for years. Uh, it starts to make sense. You just the, tell you, start at that and then go down to the consumer level. There's a tipping point somewhere. There's a price per gallon somewhere where this makes sense as a complete replacement. Bosch's whole thing was that this can be used as a bridge to getting cleaner vehicles, like mainstream adopt- adoption of electric vehicles and use cases that are the same as every as everyday use is now. Okay, maybe we're 10, 20 years away from battery technology that allows that. I don't know. Just just bullshitting it. This is something that could get us between the here and the now in that 10 to 20 years, looking at things like the Paris Accord where that's requiring, you know, industrialized states like the United States and Europe to reduce our carbon emissions from vehicles by like 85% in the next 20 to 30 years. I mean, that's huge. So how are you going to get there? Well, electrics might not get us there, but this synthetic fuel will help us bridge that gap to electrics getting this there. That's an interesting proposition. Um, 
but it is one of those things where it's like, you know, we have the technology now where like, you know, we talk about fossil fuels and they definitely emit bad things, but there's a process out here like, well, this could at least be a neutral proposition for us. Then start offsetting or, or surplusing our carbon emissions after that. could be interesting. could be a game changer for the industry. Um, I'm sure Harley Davidson will latch right onto it. <laughs> My, the question for me is, will it, will it power the quick stand? That my motorcycle has in the future. Your future, your your telescoping. Yeah, patent pending. <laughs> um, I've I've run out of things to talk about. Quinn. Paddock stands up. Paddock, paddock stands down. Paddock stands in the garage. Sideways? Garage door closed. All right. Garage door closed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good talk. See you out there later. Nice. Uh, Nice choice of picture for the BMWs and sliders to dealers. That's great. <laughs> just Bukaki. Bukaki bike. <laughs> that is really funny. Just. <laughs> and the best part is, it's an R&D picture. It's like, do your fucking R&D or you're going to be covered in uh, fucking goop. That's really good. I, yeah. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm wasting my talents. No, but that's, that's <laughs> yeah, you have to, at least you're doing that.